This is episode number 36 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We talk about internet marketing news, issues, tactics, strategies, whatever it is related to internet marketing. Making we talk you about more it. money. Exactly. You can find new episodes every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast. And we are also, of course, on iTunes, like every other podcast that matters. If you listen to us on iTunes, you better leave us a review and, and or a rating. We know who's listening. Yeah, exactly. We have a good lineup of things to talk about today, but before we get started, as always, what are you drinking, my man? Ooh, it is winter time is upon us. I think it's supposed to get down to the 30s tomorrow, so <laughs> I am tanking up on Johnny Walker Black. How about yourself? It looks very similar. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm unoriginal. We just stocked up the liquor cabinet, but I'm just going simple, just yeah, like we you. we forgot the ginger beer, though, because yeah, Gosling's exactly. did not send us our sponsorship check slash shipment, so that's why we didn't have it. <laughs> but anyways, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. First topic, Google Trusted Store Changes. Some things to maybe consider. Maybe it's a game changer if you were on the fence about Google Trusted Stores. Valuable marketing channels. What's valuable to us as marketers versus what is valuable for consumers. Tools to target social influencers. Testing corner. And we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> You'll have to keep listening to get more deets on that. And lastly, we're going to start a new segment this week. User submitted questions. What's that uh, segment in the paper? Ask. Ask. Well, it's going to be Ask, ask Rob and Corey. Yes. Okay. Ask, yeah, yeah. ask the Bearded Marketers. We're it means actually, my Wednesday night name. Right. We're pulling, <laughs> we're pulling the questions we've been getting from the 904-270-9603 call-ins. Also, Twitter hit us ups and contacts us forums from the website. Gotcha. We're going to be answering those on the show tonight. Okay. All right. Live. So let's go ahead and get started. Google Trusted Store Changes. So for those of you who are not in the know and do not know what the heck Google Trusted Stores are, it is a program in which you work with Google. There's quite a few things that you have to agree to them with and work through, but essentially you become a sealed and approved store through Google to sell merchandise online. It carries its own uh, seal that you get to put on your site. It's a dynamic element that users can interact with. It means that you get some guarantees from Google. It's a guaranteed purchase. And then they also have to keep up certain shipping times and customer service benchmarks. Then you also get a badge and any product ad listings within the Google Shopping Network can be very valuable for some companies that work in very competitive spaces. But it also does come with a lot of work and a lot of legal ramifications on indemnification and some other things. So it is kind of a big decision for some companies. Some decide that it's worth it. Some do not. Uh, but anyways, as of recent and just in time for Black Friday, which I guess when this goes up, it'll be... It'll be over. Cyber Monday. It'll, well, yeah, it actually yeah, will be Cyber Monday. So in that heart, Google has rolled out some new changes uh, that are actually worth mentioning. So... Or we wouldn't be talking about it on the show. Um, <laughs> they've incorporated their reviews aspect into their trusted store elements on the site, but also the product ads as well. So you might have noticed in the last couple months, especially in AdWords, uh, that now you are starting to see reviews directly in display ads through Google. They are also now spanning this into their trusted store, which... 
Actually, probably you would have thought would have originated there, but it did not. (laughs) But now they're starting to aggregate those reviews and put them into those ads as well for you. There are a couple different places that Google aggregates reviews from, so you can check with them and do a Google search to find out those areas, but uh, they do them directly through Google+, but they also have some trusted partners like Trustpilot and some other ones that they will actually pull reviews from. So to be clear here, because I know a few weeks back, AdWords rolled out, this actually may have been a couple months back, AdWords rolled out the feature where you can write a review that someone has given about your website and include it in your AdWords ads. This is not that? No, this it is, is different. Okay, so, so this is something different. Yes, and uh, you can actually opt out of this if you want to, perhaps if you're... Not the best retailer. You yeah, might want to hop out of this. Shady business practices are catching sure. up with you. But no, this is an automated service, okay. so not something you have to actually provide and write in. Um, but Google will pull reviews from Trusted Pilots, another one, like I mentioned in the past, and a couple other different sources, and then aggregate those. They do require you to update some TOS information and Also, you have to maintain a certain level of review as well if you use that. It's above 3.5, I believe, out of 5. So definitely an interesting ad. We'll see if that makes a big difference in click-throughs. But another integration that they've just rolled out with as well is Stella Service. So for those that aren't really into the e-marketing side of things, there's a company that I would say is a trust company that works with you to monitor people's satisfactions and purchases with you, which is Stella Service. So they do a lot of post-transactional surveys, so monitor your return rates and some other things, and they carry their own unique seal. For a price, of course. Google now has a direct integration with them, which they will show for when you're on a trusted store, there's a little icon that you can click that will display certain things about a store and their standings with Google. Now it will also render out the Stella service seal. So they're trying to add more weight into this Google trusted store and go beyond just, hey, Google says the site's okay. Now they're partnering with some other companies like showing these reviews and still a service to essentially make users feel more comfortable shopping at your store. Uh, So some interesting changes. I don't know if it's going to be a game changer, but definitely worth noting. We're going to tweet out a link which shows some of the design changes Mm -hmm. so you can get a sense for how the experience is going to change and if it might be worth it for your company to go, to go down that road. Really quickly, before we move on to the next um, topic, I know that you work in e-commerce, obviously, a lot more than I do. So uh, when I use Google, I never use the e-commerce listings, the product listings. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it something that a lot of people actually do use, though? So is this becoming relevant or is Google trying to... Well, Google has mentioned in the past that they are going to start pushing shopping more. So I think that right now, not a ton of people are using the feeds, but Google has specifically said that they are going to push shopping more and more in their results pages as it goes out. But I do know that also the usage of Google shopping feeds is also increasing by third parties to show shopping information and get some affiliate sales on some of their sites. So again, I think it's kind of planning for the future right now. It's not heavily used Mm -hmm. but even with the volume that google does if let's say just five to ten percent of searches for products related use the shopping feed that's still a lot of people so depending on how big of a retailer you are how big your variety is it might mean a lot for you if you work in a very specific niche then probably not that much volume but 
if you're dealing with like all electronics or something like that, then definitely worth your time. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, uh, this is, I'm pulling here a, uh, a survey from eMarketer here that looks at what marketers versus consumers think of the different channels and how valuable they perceive them. So, and there are some stark contrasts here, and I, I think that's obvious because of the way that marketers look at certain things. They deem them as important, whereas consumers don't. But the one at the top of the list that struck me as a, a massive difference is a personalized web experience. 87% of marketers deem that a valuable sort of channel um, for marketing, and only 16% of consumers think that's important. I know we were talking about this before the show, that that's probably because I think if a personalized web experience is done well, um, people don't even know that that's happening to them. Right. Or it's more like they read my mind. Right. <laughs> well, exactly. And not only that, like, do consumers actually really know what a personalized web experience? Yeah, the, the means? question is a bit loaded. Yeah. Yes, marketers probably understand that. I think most general population people would think, is that kind of like MySpace, where I need to put a profile picture and some other things, where that's a lot of work, and I don't want to do all that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I I, I would be. Hell, I my space how many how many marketers really know what a personalized web experience really means That's either? A different so. question <laughs> that we can laugh at later. Yeah, um, some other interesting ones that I saw: Facebook and Twitter. Forty two percent of marketers think that's a valuable channel for marketing. Only nine percent of consumers think that that's valuable. My experience that's relevant to certain channels yeah. or certain demographics. You like, know, like certain companies do well that social is a big part of spreading the word or if it's very trendy then those become very popular channels but i think of a, well, i think of the ones in here this is sort of another example of if social media is a valuable channel for your marketing strategy mm-hmm. and it's done right uh consumers don't really see it as being marketing they right. just sort of see it as oh interesting content that everyone's sharing and all this sort right. of stuff so i think be in. i think those two on the list are probably the ones that here are the most caveats are more like marketing instead of advertising uh, right uh-huh. so more likely to be confused uh, by consumers as just natural content or the way mm-hmm. the web works instead of actual advertising sure um a couple other ones email 82 percent of marketers deem that valuable 25 percent of consumers deem that valuable and that's the highest for consumers Sure. So as that I want you, to do your marketing on my time. Exactly. I was reading something else on eMarketer, I think it was, that was talking about it's the that email marketing is the top most effective channel across all the industries. I think it was in the UK or mm-hmm. Europe. They recently did a survey. So that's interesting. It seems like email went from, oh, everyone's using it to it's not the cool thing anymore because everyone's doing social to now it seems like it's back with a vengeance along with content marketing all of a sudden. A couple other ones, then we'll move on to another topic here. Mobile apps, 35% of marketers think that's valuable, only 5% of consumers. And I'm not, I'm betting that that's probably just apps in general for like your own company and not, they're not talking about ads inside apps. Sure. Um, One last one, SMS. This is the bottom of the list for both. SMS spam texts, I imagine. Um, 17% of marketers deem those valuable, only 2% of consumers. Have so you if ever you're looking for a 18 plus hookup for tonight? <laughs> well, have you ever actually gotten one? I don't think I yeah, have. Yeah, every once in a while. Okay. Not not consistently. So those lists I signed you up for, those are <laughs> those are getting you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but no, I don't get those regularly. Okay. Uh, so let's And let's... I would never 
they would never confirm. <laughs> right. I, you remember when we tried to do our spam? It wasn't through SMS. It was through Bluetooth. We need to have a adventures in a Corey segment and Rob's on the podcast. Spam. Yeah, adventures <laughs> in the back in the day. Um, Cookie stuffing, Bluetooth message pushing. We'll have to put we'll have to put a disclaimer on there because I think we could be in legal trouble for some of the things we okay, may have done. Whatever. So yeah. <laughs> Tools to target social influencers. What's going on with that? All right. And this could probably even be wrapped up into our user submitted questions section. But we have gotten the feedback from a couple of people. You know, you guys talk about social and how I can leverage that. But what I what we struggle with is we all work within a 24-hour day and we try to keep our work down to a minimum. So how can we use our time more effectively to instead of just creeping on facebook or twitter to kind of find our who we should really be reaching out to is there anything that we can use to really like automate that Mm -hmm. so there's a couple tools out there that we can go over to use that might help you along to uh, clarify so these are going to be tools that help you look within your social networks and your circles sometimes even beyond that on who you might want to reach out to specifically or put alerts out for when they mention your brand or reach out to one of your specific social channels. And I know that a lot of the bigger brands do this to manage reputation mm-hmm. online. Yeah. You know, you don't want people with a ton of followers bad mouthing your brand and then you just sit there silent in front of thousands of people that are now potentially trolling your brand or jumping on a hate train. So a couple ones to be aware of. Follower Wonk is a decent one for Twitter. It goes through your Twitter followers. It looks into ones where what's nice about the Follower Wonk is not only does it look through your Twitter followers and try to establish what are some of the top influencers, but there's actually also some intelligence built into not just look at follower numbers, but also to look at for the ones that they identify as top influencers, how are those circles constructed and are their numbers built on a actual true following versus I have a ton of people that we just essentially bought, but there's mm-hmm. actually really no interaction. So there is some intelligence in there that looks at their number of tweets to followers and follower interaction as well, which I think is a, is really key. Cause, I mean, it's pretty easy to build out just one that goes and scrapes through all of your Twitter followers and just grab the biggest numbers. But this one also tries to also give some weighting to how engaged they are into their communities as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've used that one uh, in the past and it's incredibly impressive the kind of stats and figures and information they pull back on um, Twitter users. I don't even know how they pull some of that stuff. And <laughs> Again, I'm familiar with the Twitter API. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't know what they do. Is that a Moz.com I believe a so. product? Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so that one is actually free. You can actually demo that one out for a little bit, but there is some paid for features, which again, depending on the size of your brand and how much you want to manage your social channels, definitely might be worth it to better use your time for Google plus. You can check out circle count. Uh, again, it's, uh, it's one that kind of looks through your followers. It also, can look through a couple of different ways to identify the users that you want to check out their influence. So you can either use name, you can search by location. So if you're moving into a market, you can actually use this tool to search for Google Plus influencers in a given geolocation. 
or you can check out the weight of someone based on their URL. So if you want to get super, super manual, it will generate some results for you on how impactful they are as a potential follower. So if you have a list of some of your Google Plus followers, you can use this tool to, again, kind of understand who are your meaty followers that you might want to reach out to specifically to either a certain kind of contest with, or again, if you're trying to do some reputation management, you've seen that they have had some troubles and you kind of need to prioritize how you need to reach out to them, things like that. But there's also other features of that product that you should definitely check out. And again, Google Plus has provided a lot of benefits, not only in I mean, your direct integration with Google, so signups and integration can be quite easy, especially if you're into Google Apps or the Android um, Marketplace, obviously provides a pretty seamless in, in, uh, integration. But there is some well-documented SEO benefits to using Google Plus as well. So as your efforts might be growing on Google Plus, something like Circle Count can really help you nail down on how we can effectively grow this community because it can be a little bit more niche than something like Twitter or Facebook. Uh, so again, it might give you some good roadmaps on where to go. Then lastly, LinkedIn, and this might be more niche for some of our listeners. Mm-hmm. I feel like, honestly, LinkedIn is a lot for recruiters. <laughs> but Pretty much exclusively, <laughs> probably, but yeah. There is a program which LinkedIn launched about a year ago called the Influencers Program. Uh, We're getting a little short on time, but you can check that out. It kind of helps identify people within your network, not just your first connections, but a little bit later down the road on people that might be good to reach out to that you might have a loose connection with that has a lot of influence, whether that is number of connections, but also how active they are in some of the LinkedIn communities. So if you're big in LinkedIn... LinkedIn influencers, give that a look. But again, the other ones that we talked about, Circle Count for Google Plus and Follower Wonk for Twitter, give those a check out. It might really help you step up your social game. Moving right along, Rob is going to get his professor hat on and we're going to talk about some testing items. I have a lot of hats that (laughs) you talk about. Um... We we have a hat rack right in front of the (laughs) microphone. But today we're going to be talking about double controls. What does that even mean? In testing, exactly. So for those of you out there who have been using the testing platforms, be it just as simple as Google Analytics or some of the more advanced ones, I'm sure sometimes you've run into scenarios where results you get are questionable or unexpected, shall we say. Yeah, I expected that page to win. I designed it. Exactly, as always. So oftentimes we run things, even like you and I, we run things with clients and they sort of doubt results that we get, either Mm -hmm. because they seem too good to be true or conversion rates don't match, history effect and things like this. So really quickly touch on a topic that can help sort of verify results you get from tests, and that's running two controls at the same time. So what I mean by that is obviously when you run a normal test, taking out multivariate, for example, but just a normal split test where you have, let's say, three versions. So your control would be your original page, and maybe version B is a a new page you're trying to test against it to beat it, and then maybe version C is another different page that you're trying to beat it with. You'd actually run another version of A as well. Mm -hmm. So two versions of the same page. And the point of this is to sort of make sure that the sampling the testing platform is using, the measurement protocols it's using, 
at the end of that test, those two versions of A, which are basically copies of each other, should have roughly the same types of conversion rates and should show the same. The thing that makes you question some of these testing platforms is oftentimes that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And so then that requires you to now have to sort of dive in and find out, okay, why is it that these two exact same pages now have different conversion rates that may actually even be statistically significant different Mm -hmm. conversion rates and look into, okay, maybe is it is it a timing effect? Uh, is it a sampling effect? Is it a source effect? Um, is there actually something wrong with one of these pages? Did I install tracking code incorrectly? So using a double control is a good way to make sure that you've set up your test properly. But even all that being said and done, sometimes it just doesn't work out and you get different <laughs> results. So what what have you what have been your experiences using double controls in the past? Well, I typically run double controls when I'm heading into new territory with testing so when i'm getting a little bit tricky with some of the testing whether i'm hopping domains or i've created a pretty intensive new path just to make sure everything is working correctly i will run a really short double a test just to make sure that everything is operating as intended but also again like if i'm getting very technical in this setup that everything is transferring as intended and there's not huge deltas. But what I've also used it for as well is sometimes double-checking different metrics programs as well. Again, if we're getting super technical, sometimes we run into situations where a client might be running multiple analytics programs and we want to make sure that they are going to track in this new test because it's business critical. It might be worth it just to run a quick AA test Uh, and make sure that everything is, again, operating as intended, not just for the testing tools, but also for the analytics platforms as well. Those are some good insights there. I mean, those are some perfect examples of why you would want to run a double control. Um, I I will say, though, and you kind of alluded to this, you know, depending on how long you're running this, I would expect there to be some deltas, but you shouldn't typically see significant data for Mm -hmm. your AA tests. If you're only running this for a couple days, then you might see significant data because a couple conversions here or there can really throw your data sets. But over time, you know, you should be running this for at least, depending on your traffic, a week or two. Uh, At the end, they should be pretty closely aligned with one another. And if they're not, the first thing is to kind of look at how are we testing this? Is there some effects like you were talking about with timing where some of this traffic has changed over time? Or how is this swapping being done? Is it a true 50-50 split? Or does our testing tool take certain blocks of the day and swap it over to our different experiences, which might explain some of our deltas? So again, you should see some very closely aligned data if you're running these at a, at a good amount of time. But if it's not and you're seeing some deltas and your data, number one, make sure you run it for long enough. But number two, kind of dive in and understand what your testing tools are actually doing, and you might find that might be your answer. Yeah, exactly. So running double controls, if you have any doubts or uncertainties about the validity of your data. If you have any doubts, you can give us a call too. We can be sure to help you out. Exactly. Or if you're trying to get too fancy with your tracking Mm -hmm. and you're not quite sure if it's working properly, run a double control to, to verify everything before you get into the heart of running an experiment. So Let's get right into user-submitted questions. Ooh. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name who actually sent in these in okay. these questions. So feel free, anyone out there listening, 904-270-9603. Text or voicemail us, uh, us your questions, and we will mention them on next week's show. Okay, let's just get started here. First things first. Question is, I'm using Google Analytics to track signups as goals. Why are the funnel visualization, goal flow, 
and goal conversion numbers all different and which am I supposed to use? This is something I think I actually run into a lot with people who aren't all that familiar with Google Analytics. So essentially what, what the problem is here is that all of those different views slash reports or however you want to name it all track those things differently. They look at page views and visits differently. They look at double conversions differently. They look at backups differently. All of those different things. And I think there's actually a page you can find on the Google Analytics FAQ page that actually has a chart that compares all the different sort of goal measurement protocols and the different reports and how they actually report those different things. Definitely know that those are all different for, I mean, it's supposed to be like that. So don't, don't freak out. Specific reason for that. Yeah. Okay. So next question, I'm looking to try out advertising on Twitter with sponsored tweets. Do you have any tips I should know? We actually, I think we've used sponsored tweets in the past before. Yeah. One, one thing that I I remember taking away from that and number one, it's, it's actually pretty cheap to do sponsored tweets Mm -hmm. on Twitter. I thought that was a little surprising. You can get it down like 30, 40, 50 cents for a click. Here's the problem though. You're actually not paying for a click in the way that most marketers would think, right? You would think a a click would be a click on a URL that I have in my sponsored tweet. That's not the case. Right. So you're actually paying for what I think they consider engagements, Mm -hmm. meaning if someone sees your sponsored tweet and they, if you include a picture and they click to expand it, that you have to pay for that. If they click on any, I think actually anywhere in the card where like your uh, sponsor tweet is. I know it was like they visit your profile and right, some other that things. That counts. If they click your profile, that counts. They click your name, that counts. Obviously retweets and favorites and all of those things count. So basically anything that anyone does with your sponsor tweet, you pay for that. Like any interaction. Any interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's not how they present it in the reports. They present it in the reports as clicks, which can mislead you. So that is definitely one thing I would look out for if you're going to do sponsored Yeah, so tweets. it's definitely something to consider. Maybe if you're getting ready to do a Twitter campaign, look at things like your profile picture and some other things to see if that might influence some of your click behavior and cause you to spend more money than you anticipated. Moving right along, one that we've gotten a couple times as well, because this is still kind of a emerging tool set for marketers is what do you think about survey tools or person engagement tools like Qualaroo or WebEngage? There's quite a few tools out there that do kind of a very similar uh, service. I personally have used these in the past. You have to be very careful on a number of fronts. So these are tools, just to clarify, which you might have seen on certain websites where they might present you with a question as you arrive on a page or do a certain action. Like, did you find everything that you were looking for in our store today that brought you here? I've used them for a lot of different purposes in the past to kind of try to garner some on-page feedback. So there are some bigger tools out there like 4C that a lot of companies Mm -hmm. use. But they're not only invasive, but they've turned a lot of people off because a lot of marketers get greedy with their surveys. So they ask you like 20 different questions. These other tools can present really small one to two question sort of pop-ups. And I think it's a lot easier for people to digest and are more willing to give that feedback. However, keep in mind that you are now diverting attention away from the page, which can cost you some engagement and potentially some page views later down the road. So if it's an extremely critical path like checkout or you're getting into your product pages or far down on your lead capture pages, you might want to avoid that or keep your sampling down because, again, you are diverting attention away. And there is a segment of the population that generally despise any sort of pop-ups or engagement, whether that's 
4C, whether it's modal boxes, whether whether it's a tool like this, and you can piss those people off and cause them to leave. So they are really valuable tools. You need to really carefully think about where you're presenting these. Don't get too greedy with your questions, but also make sure you're writing your questions in a way that is going to get you good feedback and not essentially leading people down the answer that you want them to give you. So keep those in mind, but definitely worth a check out. Some good examples, WebEngage, Qualaroo, definitely some tools to check out and can give you some good information. One last thing before we wrap up for this week, those that use AdWords, and I think we should play some like angelic music. Everyone uses AdWords. (laughs) They have recently rolled out a new feature. It's not out on everyone's account yet, but it has been spotted in the wild a undo button in the changes history. Dun, dun, dun. Oh yeah, now we're talking. Took you long enough. But anyways, what this means is if you use AdWords, you can access your change history, which will list when you make changes to your account. Well, Google has now rolled out. It's not they have not made a specific post about this yet, but numerous people have posted screenshots of it showing up in their account. Gospel chorus music. <laughs> Thank you, saw, Google. I think I saw it in one of our clients' accounts earlier oh, today. Oh, yeah. So maybe, no, maybe peek that. So. so early Christmas present. But again, this has been episode number 36 of the Beard and Marketers. Give us a call, 904-270-9603. Have any topics for us to discuss? Want to be featured on a show? Go ahead and put in your application. Or if there's something that you're struggling with and you don't really know where to go to next, give us a call. We have a lot of experience in the industry, and we also know quite a few people that work in our field and can probably hook you up with the right person on solving that issue. But again, this has been Rob and Corey. We are the Beard Markers, and we'll see you next week.